Hello, welcome to Prehistory with Daniel Barnett. And to the last episode of the season. Kenya and I will be taking a break to get you more content and to brainstorm some ideas that we have, do a little housekeeping, etc. You will get quick updates every now and then during the break, including a heads up for the exact date of season two. Thank you for your support, and let's get on to today's story. On April 28, 1789, Lieutenant William Bly woke to his longtime friend and first mate, Christian Fletcher, holding a bayonet to his throat. Bly was rushed to the deck of the ship and then onto a lifeboat with 18 loyal men who rather stick with their captain instead of risking the capital punishment of mutiny. With just his nightdress on, Bly was set adrift with his companions in the middle of the Pacific Ocean as Fletcher and the other mutineers jeered on. The mutineers tossed the reason for the trip 1,015 breadfruit seedlings that Bly's crew had carefully collected and cared for overboard. But at the moment, Bly had other things on his mind. Survival in an open boat in the middle of nowhere. For 41 days, Bly and his men managed to navigate without a compass to a Dutch port on the island of Timor. A 3,600 mile journey in a lifeboat and with only a week's worth of food that the mutineers had been kind enough to give them before kicking them off the ship. Eleven months later, when Bly finally made it back to England, he was court-martialed and had to answer for the loss of the ship. He was acquitted and given the title of captain for his troubles. Despite that first failed attempt in 1791, Bly would make a second attempt to collect precious breadfruit plants from Tahiti. Why? Well, let's go back a bit to talk about the need behind this disastrous trip. Jamaica's slave population before this time had to largely survive off plantains, maize, and grown provisions. There was no breadfruit, mangoes, or a decent banana crop to bulk up a diet vulnerable to frequent droughts and hurricanes. Their enslavers were heavily dependent on expensive imports of food from North America to feed their human capital. The problem was made worse when Britain cut off trade with America during a little war of independence. About 15,000 slaves died between 1779 and 1786 from the resulting famine, hurricanes, earthquake, and disease. Thanks to an earlier voyage undertaken by Captain Cook in the South Seas, the British West Indies the British West Indies planters heard tales of a tree that bore bread to the inhabitants of Tahiti all year round. They petitioned the government to back an expedition to introduce this breadfruit to the colonies. They discussed the potential of this new crop with James Bank, a scientist who had accompanied Captain Cook on his voyage and tasted breadfruit for himself. Bank used his influence to secure the expedition and began planning the voyage with the Crown's backing. He selected William Bly as commander of the expedition ship. 
Bly had previous experience sailing with Captain Cook in the Southern Seas. In fact, he had been a navigator and surveyor on Cook's third and final voyage to Tahiti before Cook was killed in Hawaii. So, Bly was a sensible choice to be given the responsibility of ferrying precious seedlings from Tahiti to Jamaica. Bly also had business and personal connections to some of the Jamaican planters, so he was more or less familiar with them and the island's climate. The ship, the HMS Bounty, was purchased and fitted specifically for this purpose of transporting nursery plants across the vast ocean. William Bly started his trip to Tahiti, passing the southern tips of Africa and South America along the way. He arrived in October of 1788 after a 10-month journey. Bly and crew, along, Bly and crew, including his friend and first mate, Christian Fletcher, spent an additional five months in Tahiti to ensure that the plant cuttings would set before leaving. But by then it seems Bly's relationship with his crew had soured and tensions were running a bit high. The crew were eager to get home, and ironically, some of them didn't want to go home at all. They had become attached to the native Tahitian woman and didn't want to leave them, including Christian. Some of the crew also didn't appreciate Bly's attitude towards them. He berated them for slacking off and neglecting their duties and punished Christian publicly. This shamed the men and fanned hostility and resentment. And as mentioned in the opening of this episode, the mutiny had trashed two years worth of hard work. Bly had been lucky to survive. Navigating a lifeboat with a dozen other men and a week's worth of food for 48 days, using every ounce of his memory and marine skills to direct them to safe harbor was incredible. I'll save what happened to the mutineers as maybe a bonus from four some other time, but when Bly finally made it back to the safety of England after two years of sailing, he was given the resources he needed to make that second try. There was too much at stake to drop this plan. How are the West Indian planters going to make money if the starving lower classes are too weak to work? But this time, they were going to do it right. Bly was given a new ship. Two new ships, actually, the Providence and the Assistant. The Providence was twice as big as the Bounty had been. He was assigned more men, including 20 Marines and two botanist gardeners. So back to Tahiti they went, making stops once again at the Cape of Good Hope off South Africa and Tasmania. They picked up and grew a handful of plants like potato, pumpkin, or melon, horseradish, and on April 1792, they reached Tahiti and collected breadfruit plants with the help of the natives with whom Bly had good relations with. They also brought and planted species of pines, guavas, pomegranates, aloes, figs, and more. They stayed at Tahiti for three months, giving the saplings time to acclimate in the ship's greenhouse and to collect more biology for their collections. Bly also took an interest in learning about the local customs and beliefs of the Tahitians and recorded his observations while talking to the people in their native tongue. 
Before he left, Bly promised to visit Tahiti again. The Tahitians would later build him a native house, but he never returned. Other than the samples of plant life, Bly also took two Tahitians, Mididi and Papo. On their way back, they discovered the western Fiji Islands. I always use the word discovered in air quotes when it comes to the Europeans, but moving on. Further west in the Torres Strait, this is the waterway between Australia and New Guinea, they took a break at a seemingly uninhabited small island. They gave these groups of islands in, in the strait the creative name Position Island, and he claimed them all for King George. More plant specimens were collected, and native wildlife was observed and recorded in their journals. Bly carefully charted and sketched in the network of islands in the strait. On the 23rd of January, 1793, Captain Bly's ships landed safely in St. Vincent. They dropped off almost 550 plants here in exchange for local plants that would be sent to the King's Royal Botanical Gardens in Kew. A week later, the floating plant nurseries made their final stop at Jamaica. But first, Bly made sure that Bapo and Mididi were inoculated as there was a small pox outbreak on the island. Unfortunately, the long and grueling voyage had already taken a toll on the Tahitians' health and being introduced to this new environment with new illnesses did not help with their decline in health. When they pulled into Port Royal, with much excitement from the locals, one of the ship's crew wrote, our floating forest was eagerly visited by numbers of every rank and degree, and in fact, it was a most gratifying sight. The poor Negroes, for whose benefit the voyage was chiefly promoted, were loud in their praises of the ship that have the bush, and were constantly paddling round her in their canoes. Likewise, the Royal Gazette, a Jamaican weekly newspaper, wrote this account. It is with infinite satisfaction we congratulate the public on the happy arrival of these vessels at their destined port, enriched with a most valuable collection of plants, all in a flourishing condition. The introduction of the breadfruit into this island will constitute a remarkable era in its annals. In less than 20 years, the chief article of sustenance for our Negroes will be entirely changed, Plantains, yams, cocos, and cassava will be cultivated only as subsidiary and be used merely for change, while the breadfruit, gaining firm hold in the earth, will afford in the greatest abundance for nine months in the year the choicest and most wholesome food. Sorry to disappoint them, but it... the... Slaves did not take to breadfruits immediately. They disliked it and just continued to do what they were doing. So it would take a long time before breadfruit actually took off on the island. Anyway, the breadfruit plants were distributed evenly among the three counties. Logs showed other plants that were brought into the islands, like jackfruit and Oti'iti apples. Oti'iti was what Tahitians called their island and the Europeans continued to use that name until it changed to Tahiti in the 19th century. 
It is also known as the Malay apple in other countries. It's a red pear-shaped fruit with white softer flesh that is less tart and sweet than crisper than crispier apples. So if you're ever wondering where the name Oti'iti came from, it's because it came from the island of Tahiti, essentially. Another fruit that Bly left his mark on is the ackee fruit. Jamaica is the only country in which the ackee is widely eaten, and today it is one of the two main ingredients of the national dish. The scientific name of the fruit is Blya sapida, in honor of Captain Bly, who brought the new plant to the king's royal garden. So that's our story for today, how the breadfruit came to Jamaica. I think I really will dig into the mutiny a bit. It's not directly related to the Caribbean islands, but it it is interesting what they ended up, the mutineers ended up doing in the Pacific islands, in the Polynesian islands, actually. Um, if you were wondering where Tahiti is, I suggest that you open your map. And if it's a paper map, you throw it in the fire. But if you have Google Maps, it's very easy to find it. But a general sense of where it is, it is between, if you know where Hawaii is, or if you know where, you know, the American continent is in general, Tahiti is between there and Australia. So that's a very, very broad generalization. There's a lot of ocean between those two points, but that's a general idea of where it is. So see you soon. Remember, you can email us at prehistorypodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail or send a text message to 781-309-7383. That's 781-309-7383. Take care and keep safe.